Our scripture text this morning is in Mark chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible and want to turn there, you're welcome to do so. It's also printed for you in the bulletin. You know, sometimes you feel at peace with yourself and with the world. You know, do you ever have those times when everything just seems to be going great? You feel spiritually invigorated. You've had your two-hour quiet time with a cup of coffee in hand, uninterrupted by children. You're watching the sun rise, and as you look forward to your day, as you look to the future, there's not a cloud on the horizon. Well, this passage this morning is for the other 23 and a half hours of the day, for the other 364 days of the year, and for all the rest of us who feel at many times like we're walking through a wilderness, and we're parched, and we're struggling to survive emotionally and spiritually, and some of us even physically. That's what this passage is about. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus has, prior to this passage, sent out his 12 disciples and called them apostles. He sent them out to do his work of preaching and of healing and of casting out demons. And so they go out two by two to do this. And while they're gone, Mark tells us the story of John the Baptist's death. He tells us about King Herod who threw a great birthday party for himself. And he invited all the important people and they feasted and... Mark tells us that that Herod's wife, Herodias, hated John the Baptist. And so when her daughter was dancing at Herod's birthday party, Herod was so pleased that he said, you know what, I'm going to do whatever you'd like for you. I'll give you whatever you want. And so the daughter goes to her mother and says, what should I ask for? And, And Herod's wife says, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And so Herod concedes and he has John beheaded. King Herod was a king, a king over God's people, and he he should have been the shepherd of God's people. He should have been the one that would care for them, that would protect them. And, And here we see him killing the real shepherd, John the Baptist. Well, the apostles return from their mission, and they report back all that they have done And as a result of their preaching and their healing, Mark tells us that great crowds are following them. And they're constantly coming and going to the point that the disciples don't even have time to sit down and eat. And you can imagine that they're just getting exhausted, doing good things, but they're getting tired. And so Jesus says, come on, we're going to go away for a a little spring break. A little retreat. And so they get in a boat and they start rowing the four miles across the Sea of Galilee. But these crowds have heard that someone is healing. And they're desperate. Because they're needy people. And so they say, if Jesus is going in boat, we're going to run around the lake. And so they start running the ten miles around, watching the boat, hoping that they can get there. Where is he going to land? And so what we see is people who are in the wilderness hoping, hoping that they can somehow have their needs met. You know, the Bible over and over again describes the Christian life as a pilgrimage in the wilderness. 
I wonder this morning how you are feeling the effects of this wilderness experience on your own soul. How do you think Jesus is going to respond to this intrusion on his day of rest by these needy people? Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Mark 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Our God, again, we remember this morning that you are the good shepherd. For many of us, we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Others of us have experienced a dry time, and we're hungry, and we're thirsty, and we need you to lead us beside quiet waters. We need you to make us lie down in green pastures. We need you and beg you to restore our souls. Oh God, would you refresh us from your word? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You all know the store REI, Recreational Equipment Incorporated. I'm sure many of you probably spend lots of money there. I wonder what it is that makes them so successful. You know, what is their, what is their market niche? What's, what's the need that makes them such a hot commodity? I think the need is that it's really hard for us to be comfortable in the wilderness. We love going out to the wilderness, but we can't live there very well. You know, you can't just take anything you want to eat there. You've got to take special food. So we have to buy special food, and we need special stoves to cook it and special cookware. And you can't just lay down on a rock and be very comfortable. You need special gear. 
all kinds of special gear to keep you warm and to keep you dry and all kinds of weather conditions. You need things that you can lie down on that make you comfortable. We're not at home in the wilderness. But the reality is that much of the Christian life is a wilderness experience. That's where we find ourselves. We know that we're, we know that we're bound for the promised land, and yet our daily lives remind us that we're not there yet. You know, sometimes Christians will portray the ideal Christian life as going out into the wilderness, as if that's where the real manly Christian life is meant to be lived. And so men were to go out and and be like William Wallace and Maximus and John Wayne and live a rugged, adventurous Christian life in the wilderness. Now, when folks talk like this, they have a good concern for men to not be passive and to lead. But the premise, the theological argument is flawed because the wilderness is not a good place. In the Bible, the wilderness is never the place you want to be. The wilderness is always a place of cursing and of judgment and of desolation. The promised land is where we want to be. You know, we should want to be back in the garden, or we should be looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, but we shouldn't want to be in the wilderness. And yet that's where we are most of the time. In our passage, Jesus looks out and he sees that the crowds are like sheep without a shepherd. That's how he describes them. And they're wandering around in the wilderness. And what are sheep like? Sheep can't take care of themselves. They're not at all independent or self-sufficient. They're entirely at the mercy of their shepherd to provide for all of their needs all of the time. You know, sheep can't find food. They have to be led to pasture. They can't find water. They need water to be given to them. Sheep can't protect themselves. You know, have you ever seen a sheep go up against a bear? I haven't. I'm sure there's a YouTube video, but I don't think it would be pretty. You know, sheep can't take care of themselves. They can't rescue themselves when they get into trouble. And this passage speaks to each of us because it says that we are like sheep wandering around in the wilderness. How are we like sheep? Hmm? I think many of us this morning are spiritually hungry. We're parched. We feel like we're wandering around. Many of us have looked for nourishment in so many places. People have said, go here, go there, this will satisfy you. This is the spiritual thing that you really need. And we grow tired and we grow weary. And I think many of us have, have found so much brown grass and we don't know if we have enough energy to climb over the next hill to look for the next great thing. We're tired. The Christian life has been all about working and wandering. Maybe you're in a spiritual drought this morning. Maybe we smile at each other and we say to each other at church, I'm okay, you're okay, great, we're all okay. And yet inside, we know that we're spiritually parched. We know that we're starving. We know that there's things that aren't going right inside of our souls 
Many of us are exhausted this morning. You know, maybe your, your kids are just draining every last ounce of energy out of you. You, know, you get that one 15-minute break, and all you want to do is just lie down or stare off into space. Anything to not have to engage your mind. You're exhausted. Life has become a wilderness. And for some of us, the economy is just squeezing us tighter than we think we can handle. You're feeling the crunch, and you're, you're having to work double time to make up for it. And you're run ragged. You're in the wilderness. Believe it or not, this isn't the first time in our lives or in this passage that God's people have found themselves in the wilderness. We remember back to when God brought his people out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, in the great exodus. And he brought them out into a wilderness. And they were glad to be free. But before long, they didn't like being where they were. They wanted to be somewhere else. But instead of longing for the promised land, God's people are longing to be back in Egypt. In Exodus 16, the people grumble to Moses and to Aaron and they say, Why have you brought us out here to starve to death? In Psalm 78, we're told that the people of God, the Israelites, wandering around in the desert, question God's ability to provide for them in the wilderness by saying this. They said, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God spread a table in the wilderness? And maybe that question resonates with you this morning. Maybe right now you're not even sure that a promised land even exists. You've heard rumors, but you're not sure. You know, we'd never admit it, but many of us at times really wonder if God even cares for us. Jesus said the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Shepherdless sheep starve and die. So who was supposed to be their shepherd? The teachers of the law should have shepherded them. But what did they do? They heaped burdens on them. They made the law a burden. They made it a weight that the people couldn't bear. They didn't nourish them with the word. They punished them with the word. They turned God's day of rest into a day of burden. Herod was supposed to be a shepherd, but what do we see him doing? We see him feeding himself and killing John the Baptist, the shepherd. And so now these people hear that somebody is able to bring restoration. Somebody is able to heal. Somebody is preaching something different that seems to be bringing life. And so they follow him out into the wilderness. This passage this morning answers two fundamental questions. First, who is Jesus? And second, can God spread a table in the wilderness? And the answer is this. The answer is that Jesus is the good shepherd who provides rest in the wilderness by feeding the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd who provides rest in the wilderness by feeding the sheep. 
Well, we know that Jesus is a good shepherd, and, and many of us probably have images of Jesus carrying snuggly little cuddly sheep around with him. But what does that really mean, that Jesus is a good shepherd? How is that helpful? How is that not just sentimental? Why is that special? And we've got to remember that, that God's people have always needed a shepherd. They've been unable to live fruitfully without one. In the book of Numbers, when the people are wandering around in the desert and, and God is about to lead them into the promised land, he tells Moses that he's not going with them. Moses isn't going with them. And so Moses says, God, please raise up a leader for these people so that they will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And so God appoints Joshua. And interestingly, Joshua's name in the Greek is Jesus. A little pointer for us. In Ezekiel 34, God spends a whole chapter chastising the shepherds of Israel for being unfaithful shepherds, for failing to care for his people, for for failing to nourish them, for failing to bind up their wounds. And he promises that he's going to send a true shepherd. In Mark, we see that this long-awaited shepherd has finally arrived. And unlike all these other faithless shepherds, this shepherd, Jesus, is willing to meet the people's needs. Jesus and the disciples, they're trying to rest, but when Jesus sees the crowd, when he sees their plight, he's moved to compassion. He's not bothered. He doesn't see them as an imposition on his weekend. He's moved to compassion. And he He seeks to meet their need. But what was their true need? Jesus taught them. His compassion moved him to teach them the word. Sure, these people will need bread. Absolutely. But more fundamental than that, they need his word. In Deuteronomy 8, the people of God are reminded that God provides manna in the wilderness for them to teach the people that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I think the question for many of us this morning is, have we really reckoned with this compassion of our good shepherd? Has that really penetrated our thinking? Do we really see how willing he is to give himself to us? And for us, do we really see how willing he is to meet our needs? Or do we see him as the one who brings burden into our life? What is it that causes you to doubt that Jesus will meet your needs? What is it that causes your great anxiety in the midst of the storms? What is it that we are failing to believe about who Jesus is? When we get tired and weary, when you get exhausted, do you feel like Jesus is a coach who is yelling at you to run harder, to run faster, to just pick yourself up and be faithful, to be a a hardworking Christian? I think the root of our compassion, the root of our Anxiety is oftentimes that we don't see his compassion for us. 
when we get exhausted, when we get weary, when we get spiritually hungry. We need to be reminded that He cares for us. Sometimes we believe that that Jesus is good and the gospel is good, but even then, it just doesn't seem to, to change our situation. You know, we wonder... Does that really affect my particular life situation? We know that we can come here and we can hear the gospel and we can hear about Jesus. But then we go out and experience the wilderness and we wonder, does that even apply? It just doesn't seem to address our life situation. Is Jesus' compassion sufficient for my situation? Well, let's, let's examine that. Jesus taught the people about the kingdom of God, and he fed them spiritually. But then a need arises, a problem arises. The disciples realize, Jesus is getting a little late. Sermon's running a little bit long. Uh, Luby's is going to close. These people are going to need food. You need to send them away. Send them away to get something to eat. You know, here's this big, huge crowd out in the wilderness, and there wasn't FEMA back then. So the disciples are going, who's going to feed these people? And Jesus looks at them and he says, emphatically, he says, you feed them. And they essentially say, yeah, right. What do you want us to do? Go spend 200 denarii buying bread for these people? You know, that was 200 days wages. And Peter's going, what's the credit limit on on Judas's visa card? I mean, did the disciples carry this kind of coin? But that's not really the, the point, is it? That's not really the point. See, Jesus is, is leading them through this exercise in order to teach them something. Jesus wants his disciples to see very clearly that they don't have the resources to meet the people's needs. You know, their pockets are empty. It's like if you've ever, if you've ever gone to a really nice restaurant for dinner and, and you've sat down and as you're perusing the menu, you think, hey, they forgot to put the prices in here. You know, now every, everyone knows that if you have to ask, then you can't afford to be there. But it, maybe if you're, if you're like me, you say, uh, Monsieur, uh, to your French waiter, uh, how much is the filet mignon? And, and the look that you get back lets you know that, that you're going to be splitting a Caesar salad for dinner that night. Jesus wants the disciples to realize that they can't possibly make this meal happen. It's way out of their league. It's way beyond them. They don't have the resources. You know, when I got, when I got married, I asked my father to be my best man because my dad is, is my great friend and, uh, and because I love him. But my mom recently joked that she thought I had ulterior motives. She thought there was something else I wanted. And... Uh, you know, before, before the wedding, my dad took us all out uh, to eat. Me and a bunch of my buddies. And he took us to Papado's. And some of my friends, even to this day, remember that as the best meal that they've ever had. Because the food just kept coming. And we ate until we were full and completely satisfied. And when the bill came, sitting next to my best man, I happened to just kind of glance at it. I don't know why. And I realized there was no way I could have paid for that meal. There was no way any of my buddies could have paid for that meal. It was completely out of our league. 
Jesus wants the, the disciples to see how much they need resources from outside of themselves. They want that. The, they want. He wants them to see that he's the only sufficient shepherd. So Jesus takes these five loaves and these two fish that they're able to come up with and he gives them to the disciples and 5,000 men are fed, including women and children. And it says that everyone ate and everyone was satisfied and then they pick up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. I mean, the leftovers are more than the original supply. How did Jesus do that? Mark doesn't tell us. And that's not really the point. The point is that Jesus is able to supply our needs abundantly. His resources are infinite. It doesn't matter how he does it. It means that Jesus can meet all of your needs. You don't need to figure out how is he going to do this. He can. He can. His resources are infinite. Jesus has at his disposal all of the riches of heaven. Do we remember this? Do we know how big of a storehouse there is in heaven? Do we know how much grace there is, how much spiritual blessing there is that Jesus stands ready to pour out on us? I mean, do we really think that there is some need that we might come up with that he can't meet? That there's some life situation that we might experience that heaven can't pay for? That he can't take care of? But Jesus' grace can cover any sin. Even the the bacon-wrapped filet mignon. And some of us sin that kind of sin often. Jesus never sees a bill that he's unable to pay. What does that mean for us? It means that whatever you need this morning, whether it's peace because you're in turmoil, whether it's joy because you are completely discontent, whether it's self-control because you are living recklessly and you can't rein in your thoughts and you can't rein in your actions, Jesus can supply grace for that need. He has the resources to transform us. And we don't always know what we need, but Jesus does. And so we're able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's nothing that His grace cannot supply. With Jesus, we have every good thing. So we've seen that Jesus is the good shepherd and that He is compassionate. He's willing to meet the needs of the sheep. And he's also sufficient. He alone is able to meet the needs of the sheep. So what does that look like? What's the point? The point of the miracle, as with all of Jesus' miracles, is not simply to put on a show, to display Jesus' power. It's really not. There's a huge power display, but the point isn't that Jesus, wow, he can multiply bread. He can, but that's a sign. It's a sign that points to something else. And so we're supposed to ask, what is this pointing to? What is this telling us about who Jesus is? What it's pointing to is the fact that Jesus is able to provide rest in the wilderness for his sheep. 
So Jesus has the people sit down in, in groups of 50s and 100s, which is exactly how the people of Israel were organized under Moses. And look, look where it says they sit down. They sit down on green grass. What does that remind us of? Well, Psalm 23, of course. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus is acting out the good shepherd's role. He's saying, I'm the shepherd. I'm the shepherd of the sheep. One greater than Joshua is here. I'm the one that everything's been pointing towards. One greater than Moses is here. Just as God provided manna in the wilderness, so Jesus is making bread for the people in the wilderness. In John 6, in in the parallel account to this, the people come to Jesus and they say, Our our fathers ate manna in the desert. What are you going to do for us? And Jesus looks at them and he says, You know, Moses didn't give you manna. God gave you the bread from heaven. It's my Father who gives you the bread from heaven. And he says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am that bread. I am that life. I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. Jesus is showing us here and the people that a new exodus is taking place. A new people of God is being constituted in the wilderness. And Jesus is the shepherd of this people. And where is he taking them? Where does Jesus lead us? He's leading us to the promised land. Jesus is bringing restoration. He is the one that can transform a a barren wasteland into a land of plenty. A land flowing with milk and honey. One commentator says that though the way that people are described as sitting points us to a festivity. To to the way that, that people would eat at a banquet. So what Jesus is doing here out in the wilderness is he's, he's giving a little foretaste of a banquet that he is going to eat with his people. We've been hearing about this all along throughout the Bible. Isaiah 25 tells us that the Messiah will feast with men in the wilderness. So what do we need to get out of this? We need to get out of this passage that multiplying bread and fish is not the ultimate point. It's not an end in itself. It was a sign. See, the disciples were supposed to recognize who Jesus is, and that was supposed to permeate every aspect of their lives. Their thinking, their emotions, the way they react to situations. It was supposed to transform everything, but they didn't understand They continually did not understand, and so they were rebuked. You know, right after this event, the disciples take off in the boat across the water, and Jesus stays back, and he comes walking to them on the water, and they're terrified. Why? Jesus says in verse 52, because they didn't understand about the loaves. What do loaves have to do about with walking on water? The loaves pointed to who Jesus is. You say, look, if I can make bread in the wilderness, what situation do you think is going to come up where I can't take care of you? Then not long after this, not long after the feeding of the 5,000, a similar situation arises with 4,000 people. If you look in your Bible, they're like a page apart. And the disciples ask, 
how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? You know, when I read through Mark, you know, with those chapters consecutively, I want to say, are you kidding? I mean, come on, guys. How, how can you be so dull? Don't you remember what happened just one, one or two chapters earlier? And yet I see myself doing the same thing over and over again. Don't you remember? Don't you remember? Chapter 8, Jesus warns them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples start talking about bread again and the fact that they don't have very much. And Jesus says, Don't you understand? Don't you understand? Don't you remember the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 and you're worried about what we're going to eat? Come on, guys. What were they supposed to understand? What, what are we supposed to understand? We're supposed to understand that Jesus is the good shepherd who always, always takes care of the needs of his sheep. That he's got abundant resources at his disposal that he is willing to freely lavish upon us. He himself is the bread of life, the manna from heaven. And he tells us that what we really need to eat is him. In his, in his book on the 23rd Psalm, there's a guy named Philip Keller who's an experienced shepherd. And he says that there are four requirements for sheep to lie down in peace. See, sheep naturally don't want to lie down. They'll only lie down if all of their needs are met, if all of their anxiety is removed. He says that the first of these needs is that they must be free of all fear. They have to be free of all fear. He says, as long as there is even the slightest suspicion of danger from dogs, coyotes, cougars, bears, or other enemies, the sheep stand up and are ready to flee for their lives. And he also notes that it's only the shepherd that can relieve the anxiety of the sheep. It's only the shepherd who can get them to rest and be content. It's his presence with them that calms their anxiety. The reality for us is that we will not rest, that we will not stop worrying if we're overcome with anxiety. We won't lie down. We'll keep working. We won't sleep. We'll stay up all night worrying, churning things over and over in our heads unless we know that our needs are going to be met. And so for some of us, Christianity becomes a grueling endurance race. We're always working and never resting. Why? I think we at times may live like seven-day manna gatherers. What does that mean? What's a seven-day manna gatherer? When God provided bread for his people in the wilderness, he, provided, he said, I'm going I'm to make this stuff come down that's manna, and it's going to come for six days. And every day I'm going to provide some. So for six days, don't keep any leftovers, guys. But some of the people thought that maybe God was going to forget to feed them like we forget to feed our fish, our two betas, uh, Violet and Fish, recently passed away um, for lack of food. But, you, but God isn't like that. God isn't like that. And so these people went and they gathered, they, they kept some, they kept some leftovers, a little snack for the morning, but it was full of worms. See, when we don't trust that God is going to provide for us, we end up with a mouthful of worms. But then he said, the seventh day is going to be different. 
The seventh day is going to be the Sabbath day of rest when I'm not going to give you manna. And so on the sixth day, the leftovers are going to stay fresh. And yet, come Sunday morning, which was actually Saturday morning, there's all these people walking around looking for bread. They're working. They're not believing that God's going to take care of them. They're seven-day manna gatherers. I think sometimes we wish that we had the recipe for manna. You know, think about that. If we had the recipe for manna, then we could be totally self-sufficient. We could make our own. We would never have to worry. We could meet all of our needs. And yet the reality is that there isn't a recipe for manna. Only God can provide the bread that we need. Only God can provide the nourishment that we need. And so we have to continue to depend on Him day by day. But Jesus gives His sheep rest. And He gives the shepherds rest too. That's kind of the point of the whole excursion across the lake. So what our our shepherd does and commands may not always make sense to us. You know, there are times that the sheep are wandering and they have to be thrown down and tied up and carried against their wills back home. We may not always understand what the shepherd is doing in our lives but we've, given, we've been given sufficient reason to trust him, haven't we? Because we know the end of the story. We know that this shepherd is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's the one who sacrifices himself that we might have all things. Some of the crowds eventually stop following Jesus, and it's evident that what they really wanted was the food and not the giver of the food. But Jesus tells us that he is the real food. He's the thing that we need. Not just his blessings, but him. We need him. He says in John 6, I'm the bread of life. The bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. And he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And he gives his life up. And by his death, Jesus pays for the messianic banquet that we will enjoy. By his death, he assures us a future in the promised land. And he's present with us even now. And he feeds our souls even now, week by week by week. And so Psalm 78 poses the question, can God prepare a table in the wilderness and the answer to that is he can and he has and so all that is left for us is to taste and see that the lord is good which we're about to do at his table let us pray Our God, we know that you are the faithful one who always provides for all of our needs and you always have Throughout all history, we remember back to the people in the wilderness. We remember that you provided bread for them, and you provided water from a rock. And we're told that that rock was Christ. It was Jesus all along. It was Jesus all along who was nourishing your people. And we trust that he can nourish us today, and we pray that he would do so. Amen.